Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Friends, we just had Valentine's Day, and it makes us think about love and marriage. And if you are married, or if you were thinking about marriage, or it's on the horizon, I have two things I want to tell you about. First of all, our 2021 Marriage Challenge is still up and happening. You can sign up really easy. Go to AaronandJamieIvy.com. When you sign up, we're going to send you free interviews, free resources. There's nothing that you need to pay for. The first month, our friends Jenny and Zach Allen joined us for a conversation this month of February. Our friends Lisa Bill sat down and joined us, and we have new conversations for you throughout the month. I also want to tell you that our book Compliment is just a few weeks from releasing. We believe that there is a surprising beauty when you choose together over separate in marriage. That's why we wrote the book Compliment. You can pre-order it anywhere books are sold and you can redeem your pre-order over at AaronandJamieIvy.com where we have some free goodies for you. We want this to be an asset for your marriage. We believe in marriage. We want to encourage you in your marriage. And we think that both of these resources are going to help you this year. My guest today is Scott Sauls, who is Senior Pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church, which is a multi-site community in Nashville, Tennessee. If you're in Nashville and you're looking for a church, I highly recommend you check out this book. He's also an author, he's a husband and a dad, and we talk a lot about his newest book, A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. I want to tell you that when I sat down with Scott, I knew that he was going to be pastoral because he's so very pastoral. I didn't know how good it would be. Our conversation had me snapping my fingers at him and clapping across the screen. You're going to love it. Here's what I need you to know is that gentleness is something that we cannot come up with our own. He says, stop looking for a bypass road to gentleness. You're never going to become gentle without going straight through Jesus. I was so encouraged by our conversation about the American church and the difference between the church worldwide. And if you are someone who has struggled with the church or been hurt by the church or struggled with what Christians look like, I highly encourage you to stick this episode out because he gives a great word for all of us who may find ourselves there right now. Here's my conversation with Scott Sauls. Scott Sauls, welcome to the happy hour. Thanks, Jamie. Great to be on with you. Well, just to remind everyone, this is your second time because we had a faith and politics, I'll call it a mini-series that we did last year, last fall, Mm -hmm. and we ran two episodes and had two very great conversations with four different people. You were one of them. It came out on October 12th, if anyone wants to go back and listen. If anyone would like to talk about faith and politics right now, I don't know, but you can if you can go back and listen. (laughs) And so I'm grateful for you joining us again. And so introduce yourself to my listeners. So I'm Scott Sauls. I am married to Patty Sauls. If any of your listeners do the She Reads Truth stuff, Patty's a regular writer there, so they may have encountered her there. We love She Reads Truth over here. So yes, that's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, Rachel and Ryan Myers and also the Williams, Amanda and David are part of our Christ Press community here in Nashville. So we're all in that world and Patty's really involved with them. But 
We are recent empty nesters. We just launched our oldest daughter into adulting, into her first full-time job in Atlanta. We're really proud of her. And then uh, her name's Abby. And then Ellie is our 18-year-old who's a freshman at Auburn University. And we're just having a blast while being sad that our girls are gone, but we're having a lot of fun just, you know, being more spontaneous and, you know, hanging out a lot together. So new season for us. I'm senior pastor of Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and we have four low locations. So I am the primary preaching pastor at our Old Hickory Boulevard location for any of your Nashville listeners. And then my partners in crime who lead the other three congregations include Russ Ramsey, who some of your listeners may know, Micah Edmondson, and his wife, Dr. Christina Edmondson. So they lead our newest congregation called Koinonia. And then a guy named Stacy Croft, who used to do campus ministry at Vanderbilt. So we've got a great team here and love the city of Nashville. We were in New York City for five years before that at Redeemer. Presbyterian, or is on the preaching team there, and some congregational leadership. And then before that, we planted two churches in the Midwest and didn't grow up a Christian, became one in college, got five books out right in the sixth, and never intended to be a writer. So still trying to figure out what that's all about. But well, that's the short story. And I'm a big fan of Aaron Ivey and Jamie <laughs> Ivey and have been ever since the first day I met both of you guys. Well, I was going to say, we're big fans of you guys <laughs> and um, such a big fan of your, even just in our world, your presence online and your people that you're pastoring. And you're also, in a sense, pastoring some of us who really, really love the words that you're putting out and the books that you're releasing. They seem to just fall at just the right time for all of us here. They're reading your word. And so I'm grateful for you being here. Now, Empty Nesters, you know, we're, <laughs> A couple of years behind you guys. This is my question for empty nesters. Are you making dinner every night or are you getting takeout? Because I just can't imagine making dinner every night for two people. So we're in a pandemic, right? So we still go out (laughs) carefully and cautiously, but we have largely, I think, because of the pandemic, done a lot more cooking at home. And we're big leftovers people too. So we can make a big dinner and then eat the same thing for three nights in a row and love it. So pretty low maintenance around our home in that regard. That's why I wonder what it's going to be like when all the Ivy kids are gone. Because fun fact about Aaron Ivy is he will not eat leftovers. Like, I don't know why. Well, he's a chef, isn't he? I mean, yeah. he, he's legit. So it takes him three days to cook a meal, that kind of <laughs> yes. thing. Yes. Yeah. And then he won't eat any of it the next day. I mean, he mm-hmm. just does not eat leftovers. So we'll <laughs> see how we survive in a couple of years. I love hearing about your church. I did not know you had all those locations, and I did not know the Edmondsons were with you guys. I'm big they fans are. of both yeah. of them, and so that's exciting to hear as yeah. well. If you Nashville peeps are looking for a church home, I highly recommend. Scott, 2020 is when your book, your most recent book, A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them. I think I asked you this when you came on for The Faith and Politics, but it's worth repeating. I cannot imagine releasing a book about A Gentle Answer in an Age of Us Against Them would be more relevant than we saw in 2020. And it was no secret that we had an election coming up when you were working on this book. But tell me just from your point of view, what was the response to this book and your words and the words of Jesus that you talk about in here about with gentle answer combined with what we saw in 2020 when honestly it didn't feel like there were much gentle answers going on? How was the reaction to that? I At first, I had no idea that the book would be you know, as timely as the subject matter is. You know, I was just thinking, man, things were a train wreck in the 2016 presidential election, and we've got another one coming in 2020. And, you know, maybe I can put something out there that will 
you know, help move the needle in a more life-giving direction for the way that we have conversations around these things, the way we engage with difference and with culture and that sort of thing. But then, you know, COVID happened, murder hornets happened. I forgot about those. (laughs) Yeah, asteroid, the size of the Empire State Building headed for planet Earth. Mm -hmm. I think there was like in the state of Texas, you could speak to this, like a deadly like brain amoeba or something like that. Like it was everything just wrong, going wrong. And then, of course, our own city got hit with devastating tornadoes. And so it was just a massive pile on everywhere to where we never really started talking about politics until midsummer. And, you know, of course, the Black Lives stuff that, you know, led to, I think, some very, you know, necessary kind of undercurrent tensions, you know, being brought above the surface to deal with as a society. And some people are dealing with it better than others. Some people are entering those conversations better than others. But I'm not really happy about all the reasons why the book is timely. But, you know, I'm thankful to have something out there that can hopefully be part of the conversation for some people. And it's been really well received so far and gotten into a lot of different networks and a lot of churches, including your own, uh, or at least your staff team at Austin Stone are going to, I guess, use it for some staff training and development. So, which is just incredibly honoring. So, you know, hopefully it'll be helpful. You know, the thing that was maybe most alarming for me as we went through this year in your book is your pastor is faith-based and you talk about Jesus through the whole thing. So it's no surprise. But the thing I think was the hardest for me was the lack of gentleness I saw from a lot of Christians. And I'm not finger pointing here because although I don't spend much time on Twitter, it makes me start twitching. It makes me start sweating. It's just a Mm -hmm. place I don't like to hang out. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say I was above this. I mean, just in my own, maybe not online because I guard what I put online, but in my own personal heart and my own personal attitude, my own maybe private conversations, I even saw a lack of gentleness sometimes come up in me, and so I'm not pointing fingers. Mm -hmm. But I want to ask you, what do you think it is about the polarizing things that we went through in a country that maybe made so many Christ followers forget the gentleness that Jesus is begging us to be and to have? Why do you think we lost that? I'm going to make a maybe a, a comment to that, Jamie, that might be a little bit scary. Maybe we never actually had the gentleness. Maybe it was just a veneer of something like Southern niceness Mm -hmm. and politeness that masked and covered up the self-righteousness that we've always carried. And it was just waiting Mm -hmm. for a moment to trigger it. I think that's really more, yeah, because crises don't create internal problems as much as they reveal Mm -hmm. internal problems. You know, one of the things I told our people in my sermon this past Sunday is that, you know, we are a lot like tea bags, like our view of God our personal character, the degree to which the fruit of the Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the degree to which the fruit of the Spirit is really operating in our lives is going to be most accurately revealed for better or for worse, when we're in hot water. And so as mm-hmm. I said, we're all like a tea bag, right? You don't know exactly what's in that tea bag when it's dry, but when you put it in the hot water, the stuff comes out, you drink it, and then you know that it's had bitter stuff inside all along or it's had sweet stuff inside all along. And so I think what 2020 has done more than anything, if I may be so bold <laughs> and maybe, maybe shocking, is it's revealed how little we have actually been following Jesus mm. all along. And, you know, Kathy Keller, who's you know married to my mentor, Tim Keller, 
who is just a force in her own right, once made this statement that I've never forgot. She said, the natural religion of every human heart is self-righteousness. We naturally gravitate toward the way that Jesus described the Pharisees in Luke 18, 9, where it says, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on other people with contempt. Jesus spoke this parable. Now, the Pharisees were known as upstanding, respectable, nice citizens until Jesus came along and kind of threatened their whole establishment and status quo. And then what was really in their hearts all along started coming out. And so I think that 2020 helped us realize how much self-righteousness exists inside of us, inside of our institutions, inside of our tribes and our echo chambers that we really need to contend with, especially if we identify as Christians, because I'm all for the prophetic spirit, right? I mean, Dr. King, Bonhoeffer, you know, Mother Teresa. I mean, you can list so many people and so many contemporary people like our friend Christine Kane and Voskamp. You, you know, just there's so much good prophetic stuff you know, calling out darkness. But if we're attacking people instead of problems, Mm. that's probably the sign that we've probably gone overboard into something that's really not of Jesus. And we've baptized it and we've called it, you know, being prophetic and being, you know, calling out whatever. But Nietzsche has this haunting you know, quote where he says, you know, something along the lines of, we better be careful that in trying to defeat a monster, we don't become the monster ourselves. And I think a lot of us have become monsters <laughs> in trying to defeat whoever or whatever it is that we think are monsters. And, you know, thankfully, the Lord doesn't give up on us or quit us. He doesn't cancel us. Yeah. He doesn't censor us either, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Maybe sometimes, <laughs> you know, he, he, he thinks twice about it. But, you know, he's willing to work with even a self-righteous, smug Pharisee to win their hearts back. And I think a lot of us might actually be that person. And then a lot of us are legitimately, you know, having a prophetic voice in this time. And the legitimate voices, there are also signs of gentleness, Mm -hmm. of actually trying to win the people that you're calling Mm -hmm. out rather than just shaming them. Yeah. You know, when you said that, I did feel a little like, kind of like tense, like, oh my gosh, that is a very bold statement. Uh, But I know that's true. I've seen it in my own life. I mean, we're not going to talk about this, but Aaron and I have said our marriage was so hard during those first couple months of COVID. And I look at it and say, those things were in me already. It's just circumstances brought everything out to the surface. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like what you're saying is we have this lack of gentleness, like you said, and it was brought out by all of these extenuating circumstances. Mm -hmm. So that makes me ask the question, what do we as Christ followers do to make sure we have this gentleness? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, to be gentle people in the midst of circumstances, because, you know, 2020 will go down. It's probably the worst year of a lot of people's lives, but we can't expect that not to happen again, whether those are personal tragedies or national tragedies or tragedies within our community. So how do we become gentle people? Follow Jesus? (laughs) Don't look for a bypass road around Jesus to get to character. You're never going to become gentle without going straight through Jesus. You know, this is another phrase we use a lot in my community is, if you want to be like Jesus, then stop investing your energy in trying to be like Jesus and invest your energy in doing everything you can to be with him. Because it's in being with him that we become like him. You know, the virtues of Christ, the character of Christ, what theologians call the communicable attributes, which are really the fruit of the Spirit of Christ, that he communicates to us. Interesting that word, communicable attributes. We're all trying to avoid a communicable virus right now. 
called COVID, right? A communicable something is something you pass from one person to another. How do you catch a virus? You don't work hard to get the virus. You just inhale somebody's breath. You receive their kiss. You eat and drink after them. These are all things, you know, metaphorically speaking, that Christ invites us to receive from him. And instead of infecting us with something that could kill us, he, he actually infects us with something that can heal us. You know, his presence, his promises, his... And this is the good news about the Pharisee in us that I just described that's been revealed in a lot of us, myself included, by the way, that I am a lot more self-righteous. I'm realizing because of 2020, I'm a lot more self-righteous and a lot less advanced in the fruit of the Spirit than I actually thought I was. The great news is, Jesus' answer to that person is, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That includes people who are weary and burdened of the world, weary and burdened of how other people are treating them, and also weary and burdened of themselves. Here's the wonderful thing about Jesus. The things that we like about ourselves the least, those are the areas where Jesus wants to come after us the hardest with his love and with his kindness and with his affirmation and his bear hug embrace. The things we like about ourselves or have come to like our, about ourselves the least are the areas where he's targeting the most. And if we can, can understand that that's actually who he is and what he's like, the kinds of people that he runs toward are no different than the kinds of people in the Bible than he does now. There is a way out of our Pharisaism, but it isn't by trying to be a good, you know, humble, gentle person as much as it is by doing everything we can to get as close as we can to Christ, to hear his voice and let him shepherd us as the good shepherd. That's what gentles us. I love that. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. 
Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. In the book, you have to break it down into two sections. And the first section is the gentleness that Jesus has for us. And then second section, part two, is how his gentleness changes us. And in one of those sections, it's called We Grow Thicker Skin. And you talk about how this American happiness is and how we have this idea that, you know, what does the Declaration of Independence say? That we have life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And so how do you think that has affected us, even within our current culture that we're living in now? Can you talk about how does Jesus offer us gentleness in that season? Well, in the pursuit of happiness? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, pursuit of happiness is sometimes code for pursuit of my own agenda, pursuit of the things that I think that I need the most Whereas, you know, the pursuit of flourishing, because again, happiness, like the fruit of the Spirit, is a byproduct more than it's the goal. Mm -hmm. Christ is the goal. To know Christ and even to share with Him in the fellowship of His sufferings, like Paul said, is the goal. To be formed into the likeness of Christ is the goal. And I'm afraid that American dream language is maybe misunderstood as being you know, living the kind of life where I deny my neighbor, take up my comforts, and follow my dreams. That's what we think we're entitled to be about, functionally speaking. When Jesus says, no, the pathway to true happiness is actually the opposite of all of those things. To deny yourself, not your neighbor, but to deny yourself for the sake of your neighbor, to take up your cross rather than to take up your comforts, Mm -hmm. and to follow your Lord rather than to follow your dreams and let him reshape your dreams Mm. to align with his vision of flourishing, which is, you know, blessed are the meek. They will inherit the earth. Blessed is another, that's the New Testament word for happy. Blessed Mm -hmm. are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be made full. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake and have all kinds of false things said about you because of me. For great is your reward in heaven, right? Jesus is constantly redirecting our appetites toward him, toward the Father's love, toward, you know, those wonderful things that theologians call the indicatives, the things that the Bible says about it. These are true about you no matter what. You belong to God. You're adopted. You're forgiven. You're righteous in the sight of God through Christ. You're fiercely loved and nothing can change that. That's your starting point. Like that's where happiness is, is in those things which are all true on your best day and they're all true on your worst day. And the key is to figure out how do we internalize Mm those realities. So they're not just out there, but they're become part of the fiber of our being. You know, it's interesting because I've thought a lot about this in the last couple of months or so. And you can correct me if I use a wrong term, but if I say like the American evangelical church, I'm just thinking about people here in our country versus the many, many Christ followers around the world who are changing the world, who are having underground church, who are actually being persecuted because they own a copy of the New Testament that's weathered mm-hmm. and passed down from generation to generation. And when I was thinking about, you know, this gentleness and this chapter here where you talk about this kind of American ideal of happiness, 
I have been so reminded by people who look at me and say, Jamie, the American church, what you see in America is not the world. This is mm-hmm. not what's happening everywhere. You mentioned our mutual friend, Chris Kane. She'll look at me and she's like, Jamie, I travel the whole world. Mm-hmm. The church is alive. Mm-hmm. It is thriving. It is mm-hmm. moving. People are getting saved. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. My husband, Aaron, comes home from a staff meeting and tells me about all the people who have gotten saved through just our missionaries at our church and mm-hmm. all the churches that have been planted, over 800 in the last year, just through our yeah. church. And so... Can you talk a little bit to us about how we need to remember as Christians here that a lot of times what we see is really not the whole of how Christ is, about how the Spirit is moving in the world and people and the church is growing and thriving, because that's an encouragement to me, because I can Mm -hmm. get so frustrated when I look around and even thinking about people who would call themselves Christians acting a fool on TV, on Twitter, on everywhere, not Mm -hmm. acting like Jesus at all. So encourage us as we see these two different worlds of what's happening here and then what we see in the world. The first encouragement is, and you know, and this will start with a discouraging reality. We are more like the church at Laodicea than we are the church, like the church at Macedonia in Scripture, right? That the church at Laodicea was incredibly wealthy, had access to political power, and didn't think they needed a thing, and were very self-sufficient. The church at Macedonia had nothing, and yet they thrived because they also knew that they had everything. It reminds me of this anecdote that Johnny Erickson Tata shared with me once. It was about a trip that she took to Ghana, and they were at a worship service on a Sunday, and the woman who was opening the service you know, said, welcome our American friends to Ghana, where we have joy because we need Jesus more. Mm. And I think that the great privilege that the American church has enjoyed, for instance, um, tax write-off on your charitable donations, that doesn't exist in Australia where Chris Kane is from. Tax write-offs? Are you kidding? you know, tax write-offs and, and, you know, God bless America language, right? Like Christians as a voting block, as a power group, like that kind of stuff has typically not existed in societies where true biblical spirit-filled Christianity has flourished and thrived. Even if we look, Jamie, at the Bible, and this is where I want to encourage American Christians who feel like, you know, incrementally we're losing our place in the culture. It actually might be the very best thing from a kingdom of God perspective and from a fruitfulness in the kingdom perspective for us Christians to lose some advantages and some privileges and some stature and some power. Because, and why do I say that? What's the evidence for that? Well, the church in China, the underground church, there's more revival going on there than there is here. They send missionaries here to convert Americans, you know, for instance. The church in Brazil, the church in impoverished areas around the world, thriving, right? And that's not to say there aren't thriving churches in America. There are, especially the black church. You know, it's especially churches that are going for, you know, diversity and into the urban core and are, are engaging poverty and injustice. Those churches are actually thriving. The churches that are starting to languish are the ones that largely have been about themselves and, you know, spent their resources on themselves, you know, preached only to their own tribe and not been aware of the world outside themselves. Those are the churches that are declining. Those are the ones that millennials and the other generations you're hearing about are leaving the church. You know, we might want to look at that as more of a prophetic statement, a prophetic rebuke of an anemic church that's gotten into bed with American politics instead of staying in the arms of Jesus. But here's the encouragement I want to offer. For those who really want to go after Jesus and want to see the Jesus Church revive, I'm not talking about the revival of the comfortable suburban American megachurch. Who cares? What I'm talking about is a spirit-filled, love God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to give my life to this. We're going to give our lives to this. Those people can be encouraged by 
the loss of power, of political power of the church, and the loss of public stature in many ways of those expressions of the church in America because of the Bible itself. There's Ecclesiastes that was written by a rich man who was miserable in his wealth. There's Song of Solomon, which is in its own category. There's the Proverbs that probably was written, or at least partially written, by the same person who wrote the Song of Solomon. Every other book in the Bible, in the Old Testament and the New, the 63 other books were all written by somebody who was either a slave, imprisoned for their faith, an asylum seeker or refugee of some type about to be executed by the state. And, you know, they didn't know what a voting block was or under the threat of severe persecution. And that's how the Bible came to us. Mm. Then we do not need to freak out about things that American Christians say, oh, well, that will be persecution when really what it will be is the loss of privilege. The loss of tax-exempt status on your charitable donations is the loss of a privilege. That's not persecution. Becoming a minority group, ideological minority group in America is not the death of Christianity. It might be the revival of Christianity in America. So I think we've got to stop allowing ourselves to be discipled by Tucker Carlson and or Chris Cuomo. We've got to stop looking to political parties to be our, you know, to provide us with our doctrine, to pundits to provide us with our prophets, and to politicians to be our Jesus. We've got to stop that. <laughs> We've got to stop it. Have you ever seen that Bob Newhart skit? Just stop it. Just stop it. And get back to biblical Christianity. Mm. Biblical Christianity is not threatened in America. Nominal Christianity is threatened. And I say, so what? Nominal Christianity is worse for Christianity than no Christianity mm. is for Christianity. Because nominal Christianity, it's like taking this Sharpie pen, Jamie, and just trying to improve on the Mona Lisa mm. with a Sharpie pen. We're making the epic thing that it is disappear behind mm. our scribble. And that's what American Christians in bed with Washington, D.C. has done to Jesus. We've made him invisible. Mm. And I think if we can decouple ourselves from Washington politics as being central to the model of our discipleship and get after following the Jesus of the scripture whose kingdom is not of this world, I think we could see some significant revival and renewal as we are in actually many churches that are doing great work. Your church being one of those, I think in the heart of Austin, Texas there. But that's my rant. I said a lot more than I probably should. Well, I'll just say we can end the show right here. And, <laughs> and what you guys can't see because you're listening is I'm over here giving Scott all the clapping hands like, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I can't tell if I was listening to a podcast or reading this in a book or something, but they talked about how in the, you know, the past like 30, 35, 40 years that evangelicals in politics have been the easiest to sway because they're so interested in power. And I can't think of how opposite that is than Jesus. And you were just talking about a lot of that of laying down our, you know, their privileges, not these rights that we have, but these privileges and changing the way. On that subject of talking about how we've seen nominal Christians, and I love your encouragement. I'm going to listen back to this many times. But I want you to speak to the person who's listening, who is thinking, this is why I'm leaving church. Mm. I just summed it up. Those are the people that I cannot understand. I cannot stand to be around. I don't even know if I love Jesus. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and a woman who left her church said, I still love the idea of Jesus, but I don't like the people who follow him. And mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit to how do we take everything you said and everything we're seeing and still say, I want to be a part of a church and I still want to love Jesus? That's such a complicated conversation because the complaints 
are so legitimate. Not all of them. Some of them are unfair because they say, well, you know, cable news, we're taking our cues from cable news. And what cable news does is they take the very worst stories Mm -hmm. and they say, here, see, Christians. And they like take the 1% fringe group, like the group of people that, you know, attack the Capitol. And they Mm -hmm. say, oh, this is what an evangelical is. Heck no, it's not what an evangelical is. That's the furthest thing from what an evangelical is. Like, I've spent my life around evangelicals. I've never met an evangelical who would remotely consider being part of something like that. So no, that's not. So I think there's an encouragement to think for yourself. Don't let cable news think for you. Don't let your social media feed think for you. Social media feeds are trying to manipulate you. Watch, what is it, The Social Dilemma? Watch it on Netflix. People are trying to manipulate you. And if you say that evangelicalism and Christianity is a complete joke, I'm not sure that you've really given yourself the opportunity to investigate for yourself what you're talking about because you have allowed your social media scrolling into cable news to do your thinking for you. Mm -hmm. You're smarter than that. So I would start by telling your listener you're smarter than that. Secondly, there are a lot of hypocrisies in the Christian church, starting with me. I've got all kinds of hypocrisies, and I'm going to ask your listeners to stay with me after I make the next statement. It is not our hypocrisy that negates Christianity. It's actually our hypocrisy that establishes Christianity because Jesus came only to save people who admit their hypocrisy. Mm. Like Jesus has nothing to say to people who can't raise their hands and say, I am a hypocrite. I am inconsistent with what I say I believe, with who I say I believe in, I'm woefully inconsistent. Those are the only people that Jesus has anything to say to in terms of why he came. That is the person he came for, is the humble hypocrite, not the arrogant hypocrite, not the self-righteous hypocrite, but the humble hypocrite. And I would venture to say that those who are saying, I'm getting out of the church because the church isn't good enough for me, that you can probably find some inconsistencies in your own life as well. And stay with me here, because this is going to be harder to hear than anything I've said so far. If the church of Jesus Christ is good enough for Jesus, but not good enough for you, what does that say about Jesus? And what does that say about you? I am always struck in this conversation by the fact that the church that gets the most press, right? Because you hear about, like, if there were any New Testament churches, I would be part of a New Testament, but there aren't any New Testament churches. Okay, Corinth. Okay, the church at Corinth is the church that gets more biblical press than any other church by a landslide. Two letters, and they're both extremely long letters. And we all, you know, love the love chapter, right? First Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, it keeps no record of wrongs, yeah, bears with all things, believes all things, hopes, endures all things, it never failed. We love that. We want it read at our weddings, not realizing that it was not written with weddings in mind. It was not written with family Thanksgiving, you know, sentimental moments in mind. First Corinthians was written in mind, and especially chapter 13, as one of the sharpest rebukes ever put down from pen to parchment for everything that the Corinthians were not. They were not patient. They were not kind. They were suing each other. A man is getting in bed with his stepmom, and the whole church is laughing about it and enabling it. They think it's funny. The rich are neglecting the poor. You know, the poor are being left out in communion and the Lord's Supper. I mean, there's all kinds of just cluster stuff going on in Corinth. And yet, You know, Paul starts the letter, uh, the first letter, you are saints, you are my brothers and sisters, you belong to Christ, right? Starting with the indicatives before he starts dropping the hammer on him. 
And then 2 Corinthians, he comes back. Apparently, after the guy that was sleeping with his stepmom has, they dealt with him and he had expressed deep, deep sorrow and, and repentance. And he writes this gorgeous chapter, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, about the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. And he uses that guy as an example. And he says, I want you in the same way that you went after him hard to get him out of bed with his stepmother. I want you to go hard at him now with the things that he hates about himself the most to remind him of how much the Lord is for him Mm -hmm. and how much the Lord loves and favors him and of how the Lord does not hold what he has done against him. And I want your church community to be an expression of that to him, Mm -hmm. right? That's a church. They're out there. They are in every city. They exist. If you're in Austin, start with Austin Stone. If, if you're in Nashville, come to Christ Pres, any of our locations. And if you don't like our church, I can give you a hundred other churches in Nashville that I could point you to that could be described in that way. Mm. Give yourself the benefit of an eyewitness testimony of your own rather than just listening to cable news. And I realize too, Jamie, and I want to be very gentle on this one. A lot of your listeners have been wounded and injured, no doubt, in the context of the local church. Sadly, the local church also attracts some very sick people because the local church will accept anyone. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you can find a local church that protects everyone else from sick and abusive people and has structures and systems in place to ensure that that's the case. Because, you know, predatorial behavior, sick behavior is not of Jesus and it shouldn't be allowed in the church of Christ. And so I want to, you know, just say a pastoral word of I'm so, so sorry if part of that narrative is because of a personal wound and a personal injury. But what I want to encourage people to do is be careful not to do the transference thing, right? Like there are a lot of like abused spouses who are afraid to get married again to somebody else after they've been cheated on or abused. And like the greatest person in the world can show up and love that person and be just the right person for you and such a healing agent. And yet you're scared because it's so hard for you to disassociate this new, healthy, loving person from the toxic person who was abusive and who left you, et cetera. And so that's where good therapy, good counseling, good care, and good courage to put yourself out there carefully, tentatively if you need to, but to know that Jesus Christ embodies his people and there are healthy life-giving communities that can maybe even help reverse the wounds and be a healing agent to what you've been through. And so it's kind of all of the above. Scott, that was so encouraging. I got tears in my eyes when you were talking about how faithful God is to us. And so that is encouraging. Thank you for that so much. Guys, if you want to hear more about this, I highly recommend If I could show you my book, it's got like water stains because I probably read it by a pool, which is my (laughs) favorite place to read a book. It's called A Gentle Answer, Our Secret Weapon in an Age of Us Against Them by our friend Scott Sauls right here that we're talking to today. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. You can start your day off right. 
when you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Scott, I always ask people when we finish, what are you reading? What are you watching? What's going on at the Saul's house? So, you know, empty nesting, we're figuring out what it means to date every day again, which is really fun. So we just finished watching The Crown. We've, you know, we've done all the seasons there for The Crown. We've loved that on Netflix. Queen's Gambit was a real hit for us. I've got no secret ones that are amazing that your people have not heard <laughs> yet because I get my cues from podcasts like yours. <laughs> I just finished a, a Puritan book, actually, interesting, by John Bunyan, which is a assurance book called Come and Welcome Jesus Christ or something like that. But I just read a delightful 86-page novella, which isn't out yet, by a guy named Eric Schumacher Okay, called My Last Name. And it touches on my own life story, which is probably why it was so meaningful to me. But it's basically written from the perspective of a woman who's dying from Alzheimer's. And my mother just died from Alzheimer's last year. Oh, and it's sorry. just stunning. So it's it's a really beautiful read for somebody who likes to cry when they read. <laughs> that would be me. I like to do that as well. We'll have to check that out. Scott, thank you so much. Your pastoring today was much needed in my own personal life in this moment, and I know it will be true when people are listening as well. So thank you so much. Thanks, Jamie. We're grateful for you too. All right, guys, I was really moved by the conversation that Scott had about how maybe this crisis didn't create this active lack of gentleness in us, but maybe it's been there all along and it just showed it. Maybe it's how little we've actually been following Jesus as long as what we're seeing. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been inspired. And no kidding, if you're looking for a church in Nashville, check out his church. Friends, also don't forget, we have two great resources that we have created that we want to help you in your current marriage or your future marriage. Our book, Compliment, that my husband, Aaron Ivy, and I wrote together, releases in just a couple weeks. You can pre-order it now and it will show up on your doorstep the day it comes out. We also have our marriage challenge that we would love for you to join us. Go to AaronAndJamieIvy.com for all the information on both of these resources. Guys, thanks for listening today. If you're looking for anything in the show notes, it's easy. Go to JamieIvy.com slash HH365 for Scott Saul's interview. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper. The music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abby Castell. The whole thing is put together and produced by Lindsay Sweeney. I'm your host, Jamie Ivy. Join us back here on Friday for another great show with my new friend, Kate Warman, who's a dating coach. She'll be here with you on Friday. Also, if you enjoyed this show, please share it with a friend. It's the number one way that people find out about the happy hour. Screenshot it, send it around, share it on Instagram, tag me. This is a great conversation you're going to want people to listen to. Guys, have a great week. Have a happy hour with a friend. I'll see you back here on Friday with Kate Warman. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.